Hello everyone. Welcome to our next episode of Data Insights podcast. This week we have an interesting interesting conversation. I'm really looking forward to this. We have Nida Ansari from Indianapolis and she's our you know great one to tell data stories. I had a brief discussion I think during one of the conference here a couple a month back or so. It was a great conversation, and from that day, you know, wow, we should have you in in our podcast. So, welcome to this podcast, Nida. Yeah, thank you. And for we love to we love to get to know about you. I think you, based on my brief intro, you are like your supply chain VC and technology. Wow, go on, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, um, happy to. So. I am currently a founding member of Hard Tech Indiana, which is Hard Tech a, Indiana, Good. which is a which is a um, committee across several organizations in Indianapolis that's that's working to elevate uh, and connect um, founders in the state that are working on hard tech. Uh, hard tech okay. being anything that's a product or service that requires uh, tech enablement or hard science to implement. Um, it's a, it's a hot space. I think one of the, the, some of the areas that might be good examples are clean tech, uh, industry 4.0, um, anything in manufacturing uh, that requires uh, tech to enable uh, med medical health, health tech. Sure. Um, Advanced materials is another good one. Uh, so uh, the the committee itself consists of folks like Connexus or organizations like Connexus, uh, like Sixteen Tech, like uh, IU and Purdue. Uh, so very diverse. And then a little bit about me. Prior to prior to doing all of this, I have uh, been in Indianapolis for about two years, and before that, I spent almost 15 in manufacturing, um, things of different kinds, right? So everything from um, uh, paper-based products to injection molding, packaging, and extruded films. Uh, For six of those 15 years, I was based out of a plant in Kansas City, um, taking things, product from concept to commercialization and managing supply chain for about $75 million worth of product every year. managing the supply chain of it globally. So taking it from a semi-automated or a labor-intensive rather process in uh, China yeah. or Mexico and then bringing it into the U.S. or taking it somewhere into uh, into Europe for it. So it was a, a lot of fun doing that. But uh, it definitely informs uh, the, the hard tech work that I do uh, and ecosystem connecting and building work that I do now. So it's been... It's so you been- had a lot of uh, supply chain familiarity there and it's going to continue in hard tech. And then in between, you also had a um, little bit more on the investment side. Maybe if you could right. share a little bit. That's right. That. Yeah. So I helped set up uh, the or bring in internally the hard tech accelerator uh, for the heritage group uh, and okay. was also concurrently helping with investments. Uh, the investments that they did were uh, specifically in clean tech, advanced materials, um, uh, technology that enables all of that. So a lot of uh, a subset of um, hard tech because it didn't include medical or agricultural. Uh, so I did that Got for it. about a year and a half. 
So let's, I think, I really want to, you know, group our discussion into three. Right? Sure. Supply yeah. chain. I think it's all the hot topic today. Supply chain and technology. I think technology means a lot today. Every week we are hearing some new technology, obviously, robotics to blockchain to AI and chat GPT, a lot of stuff. So want to understand your thing. The third is you're probably the connecting dot between the founders who want to start something in hot tech. You have the industry experience, you have the investor experience, you have the technology experience. So I want to bring those three perspectives to our listeners here. Um, let's start with supply chain. Um, maybe in, in the last 10 years, you said 15 years, I'm just shortening yeah, no, it. Right. <laughs> the last, last things happening in last 10 years. What's changing in supply chain? What is, um, what's challenges ahead of us or opportunities ahead of us in supply yeah. chain? Yeah. Um, lots has changed. Um, I think at the beginning of the last 10 year time frame that we're talking about, let's say um, 2010 to 2014, um, a lot of the manufacturing that at least I was involved in uh, was uh, being handled in China because okay. of the labor uh, being more affordable. Uh, what happened in that time frame is that labor actually went up tremendously. Labor costs went up tremendously uh, which allowed, which enabled two trends. One general trend, automation. Yeah. Right? Uh, because you had to uh, take care of that labor variable. So that actually happened in China to a degree uh, with semi-automated uh, equipment being put, put, put into place, but it made uh, the U.S. a lot more competitive again. So there, there then we think about, you know, the reshoring. Uh, that sure. happened. So it, at that point in time, when, when manufacturing was still in China, the benefit was that, or in East Asia at large, the, the, the benefit was that it's cheaper to produce, but the downside was that there's a lead time to have it being shipped. So oh, now yeah. you're dealing with inventory, which is also part of supply chain. So work in yeah. process, uh, right? So intermediate uh, inventory and finished goods in inventory. You had to keep a supply of, of both of those. Um, yeah. And then when you went back to reshoring and automation, um, uh, the, the U.S. Uh, became competitive again because now you've got machinery that's taken care of the labor uh, aspect and you've now upskilled workers, right? Yeah. Um, and then it, COVID taught us a lot, right? So what, what continued despite where it was being produced, there was a single source supply, uh, which was a huge threat that people you know, thought about, but then qualifying new suppliers is a big deal, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, you might have had dual source, but both of those sources were in the same geography. So you haven't quite diversified, right? So if both your suppliers, supply is coming from from outside of the US, you are at, yeah. but, but it's coming from the same region. Let's say it's coming from Vietnam or it's coming, both of them are coming from two suppliers in Thailand. You've got geographic supply chain risk, right? So when yeah. COVID shut everything down, that exposed us in that sense. So COVID brought up, brought to light a lot of our supply chain. Um, and when I say our, I say, I'd probably say the US's uh, yes. supply chain weaknesses. Um, yeah. uh, so, so and, and then also uh, you have uh, the, the concurrent thought of if you're okay, so if I'm not thinking about packaging, but I'm thinking about things like food, if I'm thinking about coffee, if I'm thinking about olive oil, if I'm thinking on, about products where I care about the, tra the traceability and how it was made, Made, yeah. Mm. Right? So that's also a supply chain trend that we've seen in the last few years where people are demanding uh, to know that, yeah. their, that their products are fair trade, right? So that's what the yeah. third third wave of coffee, right? Uh, 
how it came about. Now everybody wants to buy okay. fair trade organic coffee. Uh, and then, of course, you want to make sure that the labor, that, that wherever it's sourced from, the labor is it's fair labor, right? Yes, um, yeah. So, you, so you've got that traceability and transparency um, trend. And with it came the data analytics uh, overlay to your manufacturing, where you've got tech that now uh, enables you to tell whether or not something is, uh, how, how the product is incepted to how it ends up on shelf. Um, another layer of it that I was aware of, like olive oil, I guess, is is an example that came to mind because it's one where people really worry about whether or not it's coming from the farm that you th- say it is because the farmers want to get paid for and they don't want their brand at the end of it or the quality at the end of it to be diluted. I'm sure you can yeah. think of other, other examples like that, but then putting a marker or tracer into the actual olive oil that then ends up at the end product on shelf is a way to trace that supply chain that isn't data analytics per se, right? It's a, it's a modifying yeah. a chemical that you've put in the, in the, uh, in the olive oil. So there, there's tons of examples where in the last 10, 10 years, you'd say probably that it went from, um, offshoring to onshoring. Um, you had a series of automation, which now has led to robots and cobots. Um, yeah. and then, uh, you've got the, the tech layer that now allows you to see and predict and prevent uh, issues in that manufacturing that is now automated and moving into the future that that um, uh, preventative uh, component of tech is going to continue into the predictive component of tech right so that's yeah it is a, definitely an exciting so yeah definitely an exciting time like when we look at uh, pandemic right um, yeah. I think when I'm meeting some of the enterprise you know supply chain leaders you know, until or before pandemic, the supply chain was somewhat like assumed, like it's taken care. Now, right. rather, it's like it become a lot more critical, right? So That's right. I think they are in the limelight for obviously good and bad reason. But now people know their hard work that without right. them, That's right. the world cannot operate. The stores yeah, cannot have like products. A, and, yeah, it was, you're right. I think it was almost like an afterthought. Uh, before the pandemic and during the pandemic, yeah. it became it became a critical to critical. the execution of right. So then that speaks to the fact that when something is an afterthought, it's running uh, without issues. And then without when issues. it comes to the for- comes to the forefront, you you definitely have issues. And then you come to appreciate the value of supply chain. So there's general awareness about that now. When you see empty shelves at the grocery, you, you know you got the price of eggs. Like <laughs> you start thinking about things like that, uh, and supply yeah. chain has become uh, more common in the in the vernacular of you know the average person, right? Yeah, we're talking about yeah. supply chain where previously they didn't. So now, obviously, you already touched upon some of this technology. But yeah. before I go to the technology depth on the technology, now let's bridge the technology. Now you 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 mentioned hard tech, which is again bridging this manufacturing supply chain and the tech, right? Why? Why now? Is there? Do you see companies right here in Indiana or Midwest are still catching up? Do you see a gap? Why now? Why do you? Why do you are? Why you are passionate about this initiative? Say hard tech. Yeah. So I'd say there's a gap uh, in manufacturing at large. So okay. still is right. So you'd be uh, maybe you'd be you might not be, but there are folks that might be surprised. But when they hear that. 
there are uh, still manufacturing operations that measure take measurements in line by hand on a oh, yeah. on a written out table or in an excel spreadsheet and then have yeah. to manually enter it into another system and they have to do and there's an there's a person whose job it is to collect that data for an 8 hour shift right uh, yes. question question then is okay why wouldn't you automate something like that and upskill that person uh, and and eliminate the need for them to walk to go get a measurement um, in line and then bring it back and uh, enter the data, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'd say I've seen, uh, so I spent a little bit of time um, managing the innovation at a supply chain hub and doing industry 4.0 consulting when I lived in Atlanta. Um, okay. And, and we saw companies that, that w where this was the case uh, and we saw them frequently. So they were in every industry you might imagine from mattresses to uh, food to beer to you know food and beverage, um, uh, they you know you name it. So if you extrapolate that into uh, where Indiana manufacturers play, uh, there's absolutely continuing to be a gap. Now, th is there an evolution? Absolutely. So if, if you're manually collecting data, okay, just making sure that you have uh, data collected automatically is a step in the evolution. So getting to Industry 4.0 isn't isn't uh, doesn't have to be a big jump. It doesn't have to be a shock to the system. There definitely should be change management, uh, but yep. there is that gap. And then when you think about the conversely your, to your question, why now? Uh, think about how hard it is to separate the making of product from data. Uh, think about yeah. think about uh, a time when you ordered something on Amazon and you didn't know how many stops away it was from your house. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So these are incremental changes in the evolution of of uh, the the you know the data and information that consumers want at their fingertips. Uh, why not? Uh, uh, why it's not that far of a leap to say that should have, be happening in our manufacturing as well. So when you think about Indiana specifically, there's uh, definitely an opportunity which you see in the formation of Connexus and their industry 4.0 efforts and the manufacturing readiness grants in the proliferation of the cobots and co robot programs. Uh, but then even in uh, even in uh, um, uh, companies like yours, where there's data analytics uh, solutions provided to companies that that make stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I would say. Like there isn't there. Is, I think the why now is uh, more prolific than just in Indiana, but Indiana specifically being and and wanting to continue to be the number one manufacturing state in the nation. We're uniquely positioned to continue to defend that position, but also maintain it in the sense that um, there is there are a number of startups that are based here that can help enable that hard tech to truly have the tech part of it. Ah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, as you said, you covered a lot of challenges on supply chain. Mm -hmm. And I also see there are new technologies coming, um, you know, far as at Converse it's all about generative AI, the chat GPT kind. And we are trying to bring generative AI in the data analytics space for hard tech manufacturing supply chain companies. So to me, if you ask me, it's all about, you know, generative AI and data analytics, but everyone I meet, if each one is really passionate about some technology, I wanted to get, you know, hear from you and also probably uh, you reflect your, you know, the hard tech Indiana company's view maybe, right? What is the supply chain industry and 
specifically Nida, you are excited about this today's technology. I think we are hearing about AI, AI everywhere. Like what's yeah, in sure. it for you? That's a good question. I think uh, um, uh, there are clear gaps between the manufacturing that we're doing today and the manufacturing we could do. And so okay. when you take the current state and the desired future state, the typical any manufacturer will want more productivity, more efficiency, better output, higher yield, whatever whatever metrics you want to KPIs you want to put against it. That yeah. that achievement of that metric of the future state, uh, I believe, happens does not happen without tech, right? Yeah. The question is, yeah. what kind of tech, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so AI, ML, all of that has been around for years. Uh, ChatGPT has. Uh, made it again, like supply chain during the pandemic has made it more conversationally, uh, yes. uh, more applicable or approachable um, to you and I as an average, when we think about us as average consumers. So when we think about the current state and the future state of manufacturing, um, and if it's going to be enabled by tech, uh, the question is what tech, what kind of tech? Um, the other layer you put on that is what kind of evolution are we looking for in those manufacturing? Are we trying to take them from, okay, they're, they're not even collecting any information. We want to try to get them to collect. They want to start collecting information to have better visibility in their production. And by the way, like supply chain is everything from when you make, you know, start purchasing your raw materials to when they're delivered. So that includes logistics. I mean, it's a massive, massive, massive yeah. uh, it's a very broad concept. So when you yeah. think about higher higher efficiencies, you can approach them in your in your work and process inventory. You can approach it in your shipping and handling in the warehouse. You can do it in warehouse management. You can do it in yard management. You can do it in logistics, and, and not to mention operations. So yeah, you've got it's it's a it's a huge like if you think about it as an accordion, uh, and then you then you start thinking about okay, where are my efficiencies? Where are my yield? Where is my biggest my lowest hanging fruit or where's, where's my win? Where are my wins going to come from? They may not. I believe that you're going to be able to get it from tech. Uh, yeah. implement, implementing the right kind of tech. We've been talking about artificial intelligence and um, uh, machine learning in manufacturing for years, I, at least in the areas you and I have been. And for us, it wasn't necessarily uh, the way we've been talking about it, to, like the chat GPTs of today. It was really yeah. making sure that we're um, implementing a self-learning mechanism in whatever their, the tech <clears throat> is in manufacturing. So if, if you put it that way, um, why wouldn't anyone want to explore something like that, right? So yeah. I think for us, yeah. what's in it for us is uh, is making sure that that we just see it as another evolutionary period, in the sense that it's another it's another way to gain um, efficiencies, productivity, uh, output, yield, however you want to uh, state it. But then um, I think there's there's other elements to it that might prevent someone in manufacturing from, from implementing yeah. it. And that might be switching costs or hurdles. People are afraid of it. If you look in traditional industries, which are still requiring a lot of operators at the machines, um, or there's legacy, right? Like there's people that have been operating a machine for 40 years. There's not this tribal knowledge. Um, they're uh, potentially phasing out or retiring. There's succession planning. So there's, the, there's still going to be the people component of it. So change management has to go hand in hand with that tech. Absolutely. You know, last month I visited uh, a manufacturing plant of one of our customers. They're not very big. They're probably like, I would say like less than $100 million. Mm -hmm. And they are, they got 
raw material like from an iron bar to they're making super cool tools the plant when i know the plant in maybe 10 to 15 years back to today wow what a clean plant and how many the robotics arms are working that's right wow like it's unbelievable change like while i was really passionate about building this generative ai when i visited them when wow this robotic one arm yeah doing 10 things in that one small space yeah like it changes the amazing. footprint of of the, the entire facility right like yeah, the plants that amazing. i worked in the plants that i worked in was use, were using agvs automated guided vehicles to collect pallets sure. uh, 10 years ago yeah uh, and today you would call them robots and then um, it, there was another plant that we had out of uh, rhode island that was pellet to to uh, pallet and no human touched the product. Oh, wow. And this was t- almost 10 years ago. So, you know, there have been uh, companies that have invested and stayed ahead of that trend, um, but there are plenty that haven't. But, but in your context, though, do you think that technology is becoming more affordable now? When in my yeah. example, oh, a hundred million dollar company is doing... Oh, sir. Sure. not a billion dollar company yeah so the accessibility has totally changed right so even when you think about the prices of sensors uh, sensors mm. that you might put in line uh for things like that um th- there was a time a few years ago when they were going down in price by 100 to 400 percent year over year so mm. sen- sensors in and of mm. themselves have enabled uh, uh people to gather information of, of their on their manufacturing lines in a way that they didn't used to. So you're right. I mean, there's an accessibility component of it as well. So that's made um, it a lot easier for smaller companies to to implement such tech, right? So if you even if you have a sensor that says uh, this product is good or bad, and then triggers a triggers a mechanism that says okay, keep going towards packaging or kick it off uh, into the reject pile, just that used to have a person that was examining okay. each part yeah. that came across, right? But now if you have a sensor that can manage, watch it from, you know, anywhere from 150 to 300 parts a minute, your productivity is, you know, uh, triple yeah. 10x. Yeah. And so then, you know, what's interesting to think about is can you, how creatively then can you use the footprint in your factory, right? In mm-hmm. your manufacturing plan? Because if you're, the actual footprint of these ma- machines has gone down because of, uh, advances because you don't need that many people around um you don't need someone to reach in to to do anything anymore you've now got this more modular system in terms of uh uh, manufacturing footprint um which allows folks to have ancillary services co-located there as well so you you can start thinking and extrapolating a, um, a, a scenario in which the in which you are now becoming even more creative with your business model because where something, I, there's a facility in Atlanta, uh, there's a chocolate uh, manufacturer in Atlanta uh, okay. based out of uh, Pond City Market. They go from bean to bar in 250 square feet. Wow. Right? Um, wow. Okay. Uh, I, and is there a ton of automation? Not, not so much, but when you think about 250 feet, square feet, you know what they did? They, they, they are actually based out of, a, out of a market where they have a storefront. So they make the bar, they package it, wrap it up, and you can do a chocolate tasting right there. Or you can buy your bars right there. So they're actually in a market much like um, you might think of the garage here in Atlanta, the garage food hall. It looks very similar, yeah. very similar setup. And, and so they're making it bean to bar in that 
in that spot. Um, how cool, right? So when you start thinking yeah. about the, 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 and then you think about the consumer trend of fresh or uh, made locally or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever our um, preferences are as a consumer, you can start to implement stuff like that. That's, and you can increase, I mean, think about the speed now. You've got now a turnaround time that's led to um, just-in-time shipping, right? Just-in-time manufacturing in a way that we haven't, that wasn't accessible before to small businesses. So uh, it, it's, it's not just, it, it has a really, really interesting um, domino effect in the small business space and the, the economy of, of Indiana, right? So if you, yeah. if you, you know, let yourself kind of get a little creative in, okay, this tech enables me to produce faster does this mean I can implement a, a unique business model? Can I use this physical space more creatively? Can I use the data? And people are selling their data uh, that they're getting off of manufacturing um, uh, plants. I mean, to to non-competing spaces, right? So, how can you? Uh, what does that mean for the future of the economy in Indiana? And so, when you think about the the pandemic in twenty twenty two, we had sixty three thousand new businesses formed. Mm. Yeah, that's massive for massive. For, yeah, uh, given the given state the state. state, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you you covered there are a lot of business challenges in hot tech manufacturing supply chain, and then you also covered the new technologies and the benefits, the productivity it could offer. Now let's come to the adoption, right? Mm-hmm. Um, adoption is probably okay, right? Not not that much. So. What is stopping them? Like, let's talk about not large enterprise, like mid-market companies. What is stopping them from adopting? Is it like resources, capital, or fear? You, you think there is mm-hmm. a fear of AI still? That it's oh, yeah. taking... Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. I think it's entirely in the positioning of it, um, right? Like every day, even today, uh, there's an article about... Uh, Sam Altman and oh well, yeah, Congress, right? Yeah. Like uh, that he's testifying that it needs to be uh, checked. Um, Check, so yeah, I think that's mind. the accessibility. Yeah, um, it it needs to be um, positioned appropriately. So when you think about manufacturing, what is the purpose of AI and what is the purpose of machine learning? Um, so you, to answer your question, I think it's all three. There's a little bit of fear. There's a little bit of um, cost and resources, and all of that, frankly, can be managed from a change management perspective. Um, yeah. Who's afraid? Is it the is it the person that's the operator that thinks they're going to lose their job, or is it the person in management that's you know who is the person that's driving that fear? When you think about the 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 hurdles uh, in terms of implementation of this. Uh, is it because uh, it's going to cost them too much money or is it because they are afraid it's going to give them, you know, uh, they're going to have to implement too much downtime in order to implement or, yeah. you know, is there something, it, so it, by and large, if you condense all of those hesitations down, it's uh, lack of information. So lack of awareness. So if, if we then say we have to educate our customer a little bit about what this means and say, we need to educate them a little bit about what AI actually means um, for them, right? Yeah. I think it's the for them that becomes important, the machine learning for them that becomes important and, and, the, and what it enables for them. Um, that's the change management piece that any, anyone that's selling into this space uh, will have to 
continue doing because if you think back to the automation, uh, there were a ton of people that were afraid they were going to lose their jobs. Guess what? You still need someone to run the machines that are automated. Run the machine. Uh, you simply yeah. you you simply got upskilled a bit, right? So we're we're still going to need people. Um, it's what capacity are you going to need them in? And there is going mm. to be an upskilling piece that's that, an education piece that's going to be interesting. Uh, when you think about Indiana, we've got we've got uh, Purdue, IU, Notre Dame. We've got a bunch of really really cool universities around. Um, uh, um, Ivy Tech. I mean, trade schools, yeah. vocational schools. They're all gonna. They if they. I think they already have high schools have started teaching programming, robotics, uh, things like that. It's going to become so ubiquitous that at some point, um, you know, we're going to have to imagine a world where you know, imagine a time when you didn't have calculators. I, I'm dating myself a little, a little bit where you weren't allowed to use a calculator to to uh, do math. Um, I, I yeah. grew up in in that time frame. Um, it, it was just the, the educators were afraid that we wouldn't be able to do math if we did, math. didn't do it manually. Right? You yeah. know what I mean? So when you think about an example like that, uh, mm. that's kind of what we're in right now. It's, it's, it's more, and people don't like change. We as humans, we don't like change. We're, we're, you know, uh, we like stability. We like sameness. We like, that's why all the Walmarts in the world that look the same on the inside, like you, you, there's a, there's a comfort we get from sameness. Um, yeah, it, it brings like, me to take, remember, remind, remembering those multiplication, like what is <laughs> yeah. 13 by 14 to 13 yeah. by 16, like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but now the, the times table, like, I guess, you know, a lot of it by heart. I mean, you know, you've practiced it enough, but how many times have I, grab my phone calculator to do simple math but it doesn't doesn't yes. it slow me down or it, i don't know it, i think it's we just live in a different world uh yeah absolutely. so it's different so you touched upon a little bit on education i think like connecting that to the future workforce mm -hmm. so do you think we now need to you know teach more computers to you know the next oh. gen Who's going to work in hot tech? Not, yeah, we should all not in a computer, doing, not yeah. in Google and Yahoo. But yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So <laughs> it's funny. Um, so uh, between my undergraduate and graduate degree, I was a high school teacher. So I taught for a year. Oh, uh, yeah, I taught. How many school. roles do you have? You know, you Yeah, I taught. I high we school need to chemistry. do another podcast to just for <laughs> your career, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so just like teaching, teaching uh, students gave me a lot of empathy into that change management piece, right? So, uh, education in the U.S. definitely has to catch up. Um, so, when you put us, uh, uh, when you see any of these rankings around uh, STEM education or education in yeah. in general, we're not as high as we uh, could or should be. Um, mm. And when you think about the future, today, uh, kids have grown up. With touch screens, um, yeah. they know how how they know that the Face ID is going to unlock your toddlers. I've seen toddlers unlock their their unlocking the phone now. Yeah. With their, they they know that it unlocks with a with an uh, with a Face ID and all of that stuff. So it's become so ubiquitous that I would I would uh, venture to say that they should be teaching it, you know, as young as uh, uh, kindergarten. You know what I mean? So like they they should be teaching yeah. it very very uh, as soon as you can, um, because there's it's so woven into the fabric of our lives today that can you imagine bringing up bringing up a young person now without 
giving them access to technology and, and what a disservice if you give them access to technology without teaching them to some degree how it works right yeah um, so there's there is and then you know there is the there is the school of thought that there's it worked too connected, we're being watched a ton, and that you're, you know, too much screen time for kids, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there's a, there is a productive um, a way of, a constructive way and a productive way of approaching it, for sure. That allows cool. for creativity. So it's not just turning, turning in, like, we're not thinking about it in, purely in terms of workforce. I'm a big proponent of creativity and education. So there's a, there's a huge movement uh, that, that um, could be and, and already is in some uh, places. See, if you, okay, so obviously the future workforce, yeah, certainly from, you know, schools to the colleges, we need to change the way they learn the education, a lot more computers and operation. But then think about who are still in their, um, you know, under 30s, but they are in the workforce mm -hmm. already. They may, may not have caught that technology way what we are seeing okay. now with AI and all those. So now the employers have a lot of responsibility to, bring that education or opportunity for them, right? Are you seeing that now? Is there a need or is employers ready for that? Now? Uh, some employers are. I think the larger ones have always had an educational assistance program. So if it lines up with with uh, the job that you're doing and you feel like you found a program that will allow you to get upskilled um, in some way or add to your repertoire, that, that they are fairly open to it. But there's plenty that aren't. Uh, I think that's where you see the proliferation of things like Udemy and Coursera and Khan Academy where, where uh, adults like you or I say, okay, I'd love to get educated on a certain topic that I think could be really interesting um, for the work that I'm doing. And it's then an investment in myself and it's not a college education, right? It's not a college degree. It's yeah. not a college certification, um, but I do know enough about it and it provides me with a certification. LinkedIn learning is yet another one. Uh, yeah, so no, there's, yeah. There's, there's plenty of ways that uh, folks like you or I, like if I wanted to get more educated on the, on AI or if I wanted to get more educated on any any subject, um, all I have to do is type it in and there's probably a course online for it. Uh, what that does though is changes, um, uh, you know, changes the future of education, right? So yeah. we were talking before the before we started recording around the, the, you know, the future of college education, the future of young people. So if you're already in the workforce, and I've talked to a bunch, I, I, I mentor younger folks, younger professionals here in Indianapolis as well, uh, entrepreneurs. Um, uh, there's no shortage of things or co of courses that you could take. Uh, the question then is, will a future employer, not just a current one, will a future employer look at it the same way? So we're at this weird point where a college degree still matters to a degree, but a but a does a certification or a Coursera course matter as much as it should, right? So we're going back to the era of, all right, do you have experience in this space or do you have education in this space? And being able for, a, for it, it's going to be equally important for HR and talent managers to be, to be educated, to see experience in the way that it should be seen, right? So if I go out Absolutely. and take a bunch of courses in, in artificial intelligence and implement it at the job that I have, my next uh, uh, it better be on my resume, but in my next job, if I'm if I'm speaking to a course that I took on Coursera or I took it online or whatever I did, um, how how much is it actually counting for in terms of experience for that next job? Makes sense. In fact, um, in, in our prayer podcast, we were talking to a professor from uh, uh, University of Tennessee, 
And um, so he was like very open enough to tell us that he is not against chat GPT, um, you know, used by his students. He, you know, he, he said oh. to his students, feel free to use GPT, go generate it. But now understand that everyone is going to generate. That, that means right. everyone's content is going to be common unless you really apply your creativity in asking That's the right, right way. So I think he said, you can't prevent this technology anymore. Rather, right. let's make our future workforce, make them ready for it and That's adapt, right. adapt the yeah. technology, go around them. Yeah. I think that is a level of maturity. I think we, we all need to see with our the employers as well. For sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I would say he's he's ahead of the curve because I was just talking to a professor who said who said that yeah, he had given multiple students a zero because all of their tests or their essays looked <laughs> the same and they had used ChatGPT to do it. Now both of those ends have the same theory in mind, and that okay, if you're going to use something, you you <laughs> you better uh, be creative, make sure that yeah. it's yeah, be creative or stand out. How are you going to stand out from all the other content that's out there, uh, mm. or all uh, from your peers? So like let's say. Uh, all 20 people in a class were allowed to use ChatGPT to create an essay on the future trends of AI. And they've just put this, everybody put the same prompt in. They're not, they're not learning anything, but if you're then using um, uh, your intelligence to say, okay, um, I want to do it, say it in the voice of somebody that is like this, because ChatGPT can do that. It can give you a voice. Um, It can, uh, or, I mean, that's all part of the prompt engineering side of things where you then, at at which point I would argue, okay, are you spending the same amount of time writing the thing or prompt engineering the thing? And (laughs) at some point, you know what I mean? That Delta better be worth your time. You need to probably think how to, what to ask. That's right. That's right. So that Delta has to be worth your time. And I, and I, and I, and I think it will still save you quite a bit of time. Um, uh, while you're still learning, uh, the, I think that the, the professors then or teachers will then have to teach what you learn from that exercise. So now you're churning out content on a specific topic. Uh, it's already going to be spell checked and all of that for you. What are you learning from the exercise other than other than putting, giving it to a ghostwriter, right, of, of ChatGPT to, to churn something out? What is what is the learn, right? Yeah. And that, that's that's I think where there's an opportunity in the education system. So if that if the professor is is going to let his students uh, or let their students use um, ChatGPT to 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 generate the essay making sure they understand what they take away from it. Because that's what the education, like, so um, when you or I were learning calculus, okay, what is the practical application of calculus? Kids are asking that more and more on a day-to-day basis. How am I going to use this in the real world? So if if that, if those breadcrumbs are then laid for these, for these kids, um, I think that's then uh, completely fine. Right? Why wouldn't yeah. Why wouldn't you? So if ChatGPT is the calculator of the eighties, <laughs> right? Yeah. Then Then why not? Yeah, you can't prevent them. Calculators are on my are on our phones now, where previously they were hundred plus dollar devices, right? So, I think um, we we touched upon ChatGPT AI a little bit. You you com- covered a little bit on data analytics, data science stuff. So the last, you know, ten years or five years. There is a lot of new technology, right? From mm-hmm. um, you know robots to you know the AI to data analytics, big data and cloud. Now everywhere, it's everything is cloud. 
is no longer I need to go buy a server and all that. So what what's in the card? What what are you dreaming that next five years is going to be? It, five years is going to be a long time, I think. But what mm-hmm. is the future? You think where the technology or technology in hot tech is going in your view? What's the future? That's an interesting question. Yeah. So if we look back for a second, I think I read somewhere that the last twenty years of of uh, technical developments, uh, the pace of the last 20 mm-hmm. years of technical developments is equivalent to like the last 20 centuries, uh, right? Like yeah. it's, it's oh, a yeah, yeah. magnificent yeah. amount of time. So when things are chasing, changing so fast, predictability, even actually, you might think that it gets, uh, almost gets harder because things are happening so quickly that you might end up in a completely different area. So I think yeah. predicting the trends, uh, uh, has gotten a lot harder. But if I were to put money on something, <laughs> uh, I think for uh, hard tech in the last, in the next five years, we're going to see, and uh, you're just not going to be able to make products in that space without implementing tech. Uh, and by tech, I mean auto automation, by tech, I mean data analytics. I mean, I think you, you know, Darwinism will take care of itself at that point, right? Because if you're not keeping up with those uh, uh, trends, uh, you're not going to be able to do it. I think maybe are, are we going to see continuation of some industries where it's, things are handmade and locally sourced and artisan? So, so those those things will continue, may continue to gain value uh, because people, could, the average consumer will want um, continue to demand of things like that. But I, I, I almost think there's going to be a bifurcation. There's going to be a set of mm. industries where you can't uh, see uh, them continuing on without the implementation of tech. And then you're going to see another set of industries that almost falls into the luxury space where previously they were artisan and, and handmade and local, uh, where where uh, everything is made by a person, right? So I think you're going awesome. to see a, uh, an interesting bifurcation there. Yeah. You know, it was, um, I, at the time, like, I think we've been talking, I think, how much topics, different topics, I think you even, <laughs> you did not include your, you know, your teaching experience. I, otherwise, we must have focused more on that. <laughs> it was very brief. Um, it was very brief. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, I think um, you have a, you have a diverse, like huge amount of knowledge uh, and experience. I love to chat more with you, maybe in the next podcast. And um, maybe once you are maybe tell us next time we want to hear like uh, what are the fears i think we, we little bit touched upon yeah, absolutely. what are the fears or what are the um you know what, what is stopping india not hot tech companies stopping mm-hmm. or slowing the adoption what should technology companies like us maybe if you could want to you know briefly touch on how sure. technology companies like us or the future founders who are listening to this podcast, what should we all, what's our responsibility to bring them to that? What do you think? Maybe brief and then I like to do a podcast just on that topic maybe next time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I think it goes back to the education piece. Um, So when you're implementing something new, so if you're going in as a provider, um, potential provider, there's going to be a component of education for your target customer. And then the question is that a lot of founders chase is that, okay, if I'm coming up some, with something so new that people don't really know about it, what is my responsibility to educate this broad class of people 
of which a small component might end up being an actual customer element. Yes. Right. Yes. So, so when you think about it that way as a service provider, then um, that's how your coalitions around your specific area might form, where uh, there are organizations or nonprofits that take on the onus of providing said education. And that education isn't formal, right? By education, I mean simply putting out information um, on LinkedIn or um, putting workshops together or come learn about us like or participating in conferences. I consider all of that education slash marketing, but there is an education component where somebody says, I'm, I'm not quite sure what data analytics means, means what can I, how would I, how does it affect Use me that. on a day to day? So mm. there's an education component and there's an education for <clears throat> Right? Mm. For your customer, where you say, okay, I can educate one customer at a time, or I can educate a lot of people at a time. So that's where each founder then has to um, be very calculated in their approach, because then you either have a consultative approach to selling, or you have a broad brush, educate them, then uh, sell component to selling. And that one has, uh, you know, more, a more content based approach, another is uh, slower to scale, uh, another might be, I mean, so there's there's puts and takes to both of those approaches, but each founder might have to do, you know, take on that burden, right? Yeah, Especially if you're, you're doing something new. Yeah. Spot on. I think when we founded the Converse site, um, you know, five years back when we were going and telling, hey, you can just talk to the data and, you know, the AI will answer. Why? Like a lot of people like can't, like yeah. today, after like chat GPT and all those, this is what we were like hoping for, like, the world is going to be a lot more easy, a lot more conversational. You don't, you're not going to have like zillion buttons and screens. You just ask mm -hmm. natural. And, you know, some people got it. I think that's how we got into sure. this 150 plus customers today, but not many, right? You're right. I yeah. think we were definitely educating. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, point very well taken. I think any founder, anybody starting new idea, just your responsibility to yeah. educate the market and make Absolutely. sure the market is aware of where the industry is going, you can't expect everyone to be like as aware of like whatever you are doing. Maybe you're passionate. Your first, That's right. Uh, yeah, um, and I think the the, the other other part of it where you say ChatGPT is now more uh, has proliferated. You might have to educate on the misinformation, right? Big time. So, yes. So now you're fighting a different wave where uh, yeah. you know the the CEO of a manufacturing uh, plant saw something on um in time magazine or in some sort of a news outlet about uh, ai and is now misinformed or has a misperception uh, yeah. on the implementation so you're now you now have to stay abreast of the misinformation that's out there and have a counter to all of that but that becomes part of your consultative selling or it becomes part of your uh, education against misinformation but you have to keep abreast of both of those trends right absolutely i think um this is so far a great discussion. Love this. Like, uh, as I said, I think we need to invite you to one more time. Yeah. Happy to do our it. Audience, Happy to do it. Our listeners are going to ask for one more. I think we'll, we'll do it. Thank you for your time. It was great chatting with Thank you. you. Love to learn more um, with your role, with your broader connection with hard tech and industry and technology. Love to hear more. Thank you for Thank your you. time today. Thanks, Ash. Awesome. Thanks a lot.